and we are live what is going on everyone you know what time it is man it's edwin yes i'm freaking back again a new week welcome to game breakers yo guys i'm fully back to being healthy like i was on the injury report for like a week okay i had a a flu-like symptom kind of week but i'm back now i'm back fully healthy the throat is not as croggy froggy as it was last week oh my gosh it was terrible man but all glory to god because i am finally back and i feel better than ever to give you guys some more breakdown now yes monday is not here with the episode but tuesday is here with the episode so here it is right here guys and without further ado before i get into the sports Keep on grinding. Keep on doing your thing. Monday has passed, but Tuesday was a new day. So keep on doing your thing. Keep on grinding out for your goals. And yeah, there's going to be a lot of tough decisions in the future that you're going to have to make. But hopefully you can make the right ones. That's all I'll say. Anyways, guys, let's get straight into it because so much, I mean, so much to get into. And let's kick it off with Monday Night Football. All right. Bucks and Saints. And we knew coming into the game, at least if you watch the Buccaneers for that matter, we know that the Saints, every single time they play Tom Edward, Patrick Edward Brady, that's it, yeah, Thomas Patrick Edward Brady, we know that they always know how to play this man, every single time, it never fails, never fails, and through three quarters, once again, maybe I'll give you as far as up until the last five minutes of, of the fourth quarter, up until that point, they had every answer for Tom Brady. Every answer. Okay. And by the way, their win against the Saints last night does not change my thought on who the Bucs are. It's a bad team still. It's a bad football team they're playing at home, by the way. Saints are not a good football team right now. Okay. They have a first losing season since 2016, which is pretty bad considering how well they've been coached up until this point in time. Um, too many lapses, too many inconsistent performances, too many just disappointments. Of what I did not expect. I, I expected this team to be a wild card team. I expected the Bucks to be the division leader. And neither, well, I, I, guess, I guess you could say the Bucks are leaders right now, but really it's it's fallen short of my expectations coming into the season. But this matchup doesn't prove me anything that, that's wrong in that case. It really does not. All right. So let's take it in the, the whole entire game, first quarter. Obviously, the Bucks have that only lone field goal, but everything. After that is punt, four plays punt, six plays punt, five plays punt. Surprisingly, the first drive was the only drive where they moved the ball efficiently up until a point where they got stonewalled, couldn't get the ball downfield. Um, the only good thing about this game was that we saw some type of connection with Mike Evans, which I have not seen in recent weeks. It's mostly been Chris Godwin's show and him going to um, Tom Brady going to Chris Godwin in that instance. But we saw more of Mike Evans this time around, right? That was good. From the Saints' perspective, though, able to move the football sometimes, okay, it wasn't that bad of a, of a performance for me. I think Andy Dalton played really well, all right? When you have only eight misplaced passes and 229 yards, to me, against a Bucks defense, which is supposed to be good on the road, I think that's a good enough recipe for you to win the game, all right? But it didn't happen. They just got stonewalled at points in the game where we're very crucial in hopes of trying to help them to win the game, obviously, right? We'll talk about that crucial play. The the play, the play, the drive, actually, right before the Bucks get the ball back and score a TD. That is the play with Mark Ingram. 
don't know exactly why the hell this guy decides to go out of bounds. I don't understand what it is. And sometimes you can see these players have these little mental lapses of how the game's going right now. Situational football, man. Situational football. You stay in bounds. You keep the clock running. All right? And even, even in that case, to me, it looked as if he had enough juice to get the first down. He stopped short. They go forward on third and one, obviously. Third down. All right, and they run a freaking quick slant, which to me was a terrible play call, by the way. A terrible play call. If it works out, kudos to you. But it didn't work out. It was actually pretty terrible. I think they would have been better off running the football because now the clock stops. What the hell was that? I have no clue whatsoever. But that to me was the start of this whole unraveling towards the game where it seemed pretty dominant from the state's perspective of them dominating the game up 16-3 at one point. Guys. I cannot stress this enough. How poor do you have to be of a football team to give up a 13-point lead in the final five minutes of the football game? A 13-point lead, two-score game. Doesn't matter who you're playing. I don't care if it's Tom Brady. Doesn't matter if it's Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. To lose the game after being up by 13 points with five minutes left, to me, it's poor on coaching. It's poor on player management. It's poor on player decision-making, obviously, going back to Mark Ingram. I mean, you just cannot have that happen at all, at all. Obviously, the Bucks get the drive going on the next ensuing drive. They score the TD, okay, and now they're down by one score, of course. Another opportunity for the Saints to ice the game. And what do they do? Take a sack. Um, you had a big sack by Andy Dalton. Really nothing going on for them in that drive. They actually make it worse for them in that instance, get nothing going. And then too much time left on the clock. Way too much time left on the clock for Tom Brady to make things work. I don't I don't get it at all. I don't get it. And, you know, the Saints had also chances on the defensive end, which was dominating all night. Let's be honest here. Three points through three or four quarters for the most part is dominating. But the final two drives, though, to give up touchdowns, and it's not really their fault per se because when you have a 13-point lead, you expect the offense to kind of ice the game with two chances, which they did not do. But on the other hand, the defense as well made a couple of big mistakes in this game too in the final five minutes. You know, some players didn't get down to their spots in time. I had a play where Marcus May was a robber. He was late. It gets a, a completion to Scotty Miller. Those kind of plays you need, right? Have a play on the sideline where Julio Jones makes a spectacular catch. Marcus May is late on the double team. But I think it's much more of a back shoulder pass that's perfectly thrown by Tom Brady, which gives Marks May the safety no chance to come over there and make a play. But those are the little things, guys, that we see throughout the game that maybe if they go the Saints way, maybe they don't lose that game. Maybe not. But it didn't go that way. Okay? The the Bucks too, you, you would think the Saints had a big break, right, once they get that holding call. The same play with the Bucks score a TD with Chris Godwin, okay, and then it gets called back. But a short completion to Chris Godwin and then a touchdown to White, who, by the way, Tom Brady was just waiting for this guy to come out of his route, says it all. Says it all. So it sucks. I thought the Saints defense did a good enough job. And you had a pick by DeMario Davis. You had a fumble uh, forced by Cameron Jordan. You had everything going for you. Three and outs, four and outs. And you still didn't win the game. That, to me, says it all. And once again, I'm not swayed in my belief about who the Bucks are. This is not a good football team. Saints are also not a good football team. It is what it is. But 
because the Saints have a good feel for how Tom Brady plays, despite him, I actually thought he was going to have less than 200 yards in this game. I'm not going to lie. Because the way these guys play against each other every time, I mean, you look at the last meeting against the Saints in New Orleans, that to me was a dogfight in itself. It had the similar scoreline up until the game changing with the, the picks by Jameis Winston. But that game was also 13-3, to you know? So it is what it is. In this case, you would think the Saints come back. But first sweep of the Saints in, since 2008, I believe. I don't know the exact year. But I know that the Saints have not been swept by the Bucks in a long time. <laughs> and now it's happened. Uh, it's surprising. It really is surprising. But poor management, poor coaching decisions, poor player um, uh, management. That, that to me says it all. It really does. Moving on, let's let's go into Bacon Mayfield. Now, Bacon Mayfield was released by the Carolina Panthers. Uh, was that on yesterday? That was yesterday. And that meant that the Cleveland Browns would not receive uh, a fourth-round pick. It would be a fifth-round pick. But uh, they would get a fourth-round pick depending on if he played enough snaps, which he did not, obviously. Only 70% chances. Uh, only He would have to have 70% of the snaps played, sorry. So he took his $3.5 million pay cut to end up in Carolina. Now he's on waivers. And now he goes to the freaking Los Angeles Rams, which is surprising as well, too, I guess you could say. I, I didn't think they would be able to, to take a, a a fly on him, but they did that. But let's talk about Baker Mayfield really quickly. This guy right here, to me, had all the chances. I think he did. I know that's harsh. I, I really do. I understand that it's harsh. But, guys, you look at his opportunity to go into Carolina, all right, and make a name for himself. Have a new fresh start. Didn't work out. Didn't work out. His best performance came against the Cleveland Browns in a revenge game, kind of. But it was not good enough. It was not good enough for the entire season. I mean, when you look at his performances against some of these other teams, the Giants, you know, uh, like they're they're not standout performances. They're really not. They're really not. Going down the list right now, uh, the Ravens. That was a poor, that was a very poor performance. It really was. I know he had 196 yards, which is not good enough for me, but still, not good enough at all. The Bengals came in. Okay, he had a, a nice little cameo when they were getting blown out. It is what it is. He played okay, but not good enough, guys. Not good enough. I must say. I must say. And I just wonder. Are we going to keep on talking about Baker Mayfield as a starter in this league? Because he's not to me anymore. I think that even him being a backup is like, uh, do I even trust him to come into the game and change the game possibly if my starter gets injured? I don't know. I don't know. I felt as if this was the perfect scenario for him to come into Carolina and to at least try to make a name for himself again. After I thought, me personally thought that Sam Donald was the best quarterback and he is still with a job right now as, as we currently speak with the Carolina Panthers. But I thought he was the best quarterback on the roster for them at the time. I thought he'd be able to win the starting job. But I guess you could say that they were trying to force the narrative of, okay, Baker, we traded for you. We want you to come over here and play and be the starter for our team. Even though it's supposed to be, quote, unquote, a quarterback uh, competition, which it was. He won the job fair and square. I won't denounce that. But – I don't know. I felt as if he had a chance to come back against the Baltimore Ravens. Didn't play that well. That game was very, very lackluster itself. It wasn't all his fault. And I don't think any of these performances all his fault. But when you look at his history of having good talent around him, good coaching around him, and 
somewhat of a good defense around him, and you, you drop the ball over there, when you come up and, and you come back against these other teams and you get another shot, you got to come out here and play two times as hard. You got to. You got to come out here and outshine because they're already having you on a short leash. And to me, didn't do that. Didn't do that. Now, the only reason why he's with the Rams right now, obviously, is because they need some quarterback health. I mean, Perkins, Bryce Perkins is the quarterback right now. <laughs> you know, they need some quarterback competition, some quarterback uh, veterans in there right now. Guys who have played in the league because they have a quarterback crisis, even though the season is pretty much done for them anyway. I mean, I, I don't really see an instance of them coming back and being relevant again this season. It was already done for me about like five weeks ago, to be honest. But because they don't really believe or trust in the QB play of Perkins, I can see why picking up Baker Mayfield was a good idea for them. But either way, guys, I'm just coming over here to tell you all that Baker Mayfield to me is done as an NFL starter. Um, I, I think that there's always a story written for every player. And if he does come back and plays lights out, then so be it. Obviously, we've seen Geno Smith do that. But I ask you, how many chances are we going to give Baker Mayfield? How many? I mean, did Geno Smith get as many chances as Baker Mayfield did? I think he was coming into the Giants situation to be a backup. Every other job aside from the Jets, he's come there to be a backup. Okay, he has. He has. Last year, Seattle, backup. Came in to be a backup. Now, it's worked out because he's stayed within the offense, within the scheme. He's built some rapport, some chemistry with these players. And now it has blossomed into something bigger and better, which we all never really expected. So I'll give him that. But I wonder, and you guys should wonder too, will we ever see Baker Mayfield get that same kind of opportunity or something similar where he's coming in to be a backup, the quarterback gets injured, the starter gets injured, and he comes over here and lights up the freaking place. And now they're saying they feel comfortable enough for Baker Mayfield to be the starter moving forward. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't. He's done, unfortunately. It is what it is. But for a guy who has so much promise, and I actually liked him coming out of Oklahoma. I really did. But for a guy who has so much promise, was chosen first overall, comes in and has a stinker of a career, unfortunately. And he's still a winner with the money that he's made, I guess you could say. But I know he wants a little bit more than that. He does. And speaking of a guy who wants more than what they have offered him, Lamar Jackson, who is now injured and now will be sidelined for the next one to three weeks with a PCL, a sprained PCL. Um, guys, the reason why we're talking about Lamar Jackson is simply this, right? He came in into the season wanting a contract. They didn't give him the contract. Okay, they should have did it a long time ago, but they didn't do that. So be it. Now, the issue coming into the year was that if he gets injured or if he has poor quarterback play, they will have the leverage. And it's not all has been his fault. It has not been all his fault this year as far as just the Ravens losing some of these games. You know, I don't think it was his fault that they lost against the Buffalo Bills. I don't think it was his fault that they lost against the Dolphins. I don't think it was his fault that, you know, these 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 big time losses accrued, except for the Giants game. That was that was pretty his fault. I mean, throwing that pick against the Giants was pretty dumb. That was pretty dumb. But every other loss, I felt good enough to say that it wasn't really his fault that they lost. I, I, I truly believe that. I really do. But now that he's injured, ooh boy. 
I don't know. I really don't know because I just wonder exactly, like, where will they go from now? Now, you could talk about Brett, Brett Hundley. Brett Hundley, I believe his name is, um, the backup, who actually plays really well when he's <laughs> when he comes out there. I mean, I, I just knew that coming into that game against the Broncos, who are still low life but have a pretty good defense, I, I thought that Hundley would have a more than enough chance to still win that game. Why? Because he has come over there and he has performed in crucial moments, big-time moments. So, yeah, my faith didn't really waver in him to, to you know, lose that game. But what I will say is that, you know, can they continue, can they continue a, a stretch of winning games with Huntley at the quarterback position? Because it's similar to last year where they're, they're now losing, they're going to have these injuries accrue at the last minute where they're at the home stretch, final run, where you need to have your players play crucial minutes, your big-time players, Lamar Jackson, i.e., play crucial minutes to help you win these kind of games. And I already said it. It comes down to the Ravens and the Bengals competing for the division this season. What two teams are there right now? Ravens and Bengals. All right. But what team has a quarterback that is playing lights out and is healthy? The Bengals do. So, yeah, it's not looking too good for the Ravens. It's really not. It's really not. Now, looking at their schedule, Steelers, Browns, Falcons, Steelers, Bengals. All right. I think that with Huntley at the quarterback position, Every one of these games are winnable except for the Bengals. And even the Steelers, you know, we talk about matchups. We talk about teams that have a good feel for how you want to play. The Steelers have historically had a good feel for how the Ravens want to play football. So those games, those three games will not be easy at all. And by the way, the last game will be on the road. So I don't feel too confident in this team. I really don't. I really don't. And I feel bad for Lamar Jackson only because he wanted the contract they didn't give him the contract. He is now injured, which will now play a role in their minds of how much they'll pay him. And on top of that, didn't really have the best season anyway. It's not all his fault. Once again, it's not all his fault. Why? Because this team wants to commit to the running game, which will then open up the passing game. But they don't have a conventional running game to go off of. They don't. They don't have a, a conventional running game that has been successful for me, this entire season, yeah, we've seen some games where they've looked okay, they've looked better, but it has not worked out. And on top of that, trying to rely on receivers as in Devin Duvernay, Rashad Bateman, Demarcus Robinson, what the hell are we talking about here? What the hell are we talking about here? Speed guys, I get it, that you want to use on the perimeter, that you want to use on the play action. But, yeah, they can complement your offense, but when, when you need game changes on the field, when you don't have a running game, then what to do now? So it's a bit of everything. I, I think that it's it's part of Greg Roman's job, obviously, to be able to get the most out of this offense, which to me has not done so far, has not found a way to consistently run the football, has not found a way to consistently pass the football. And it's not all his fault in the case of he's had to deal with injuries as well, too. Mark Andrews has been out this year. But we will all, unfortunately, point back to the quarterback in some situations that, you know, they're losing some of these games because of Lamar Jackson, which I don't think is the case at all, but I can see why people would say that, you know, I can see why, but either way though, it's unfortunate. And I, I think that the Ravens to me, who are the pick to win the AFC North this season for my pick, at least are not going to win it anymore. I don't see it happening. I really don't, but a team that I didn't see winning the division Still has a bit of a chance, I guess you could say, but to me, not really. 
I think the Eagles are playing too much, too good football right now. Is the freaking Cowboys. Now we have Odo Beckham Jr. entering the conversation. It's a good possibility stated by Odo Beckham Jr. about the idea of joining the Cowboys. Let me tell you guys something, man. The Cowboys to me, and, and go go off it how you want to, but the Cowboys to me are similar to the Rams of last year. They are. Why? Because I, I think they're better. I, I think that this Cowboys team constructed right now, if if we're being if we're being arguable, if, if we can make a case, this Cowboys team to me is better than the Rams team of last year. All right, and I get it. They won the Super Bowl last year. So what? I understand that. When you look at this team and the way it's constructed with the defense, much more imposing, much more physical, much more dominating defense than the Rams did have last year. Aaron Donald had a great year last year. So did Michael Parsons. Okay, he's having another great year again. This defense can match up with anybody. Trayvon Diggs has taken a, a next step on the passing game. They have something to me that the Rams did not have last year. A running game. Tony Pollard. We talk about him all the time. How much yards he can get after contact. The speed threat. The run and grind threat. And Zeke. Ezekiel Elliott brings them that factor too. And of course, they don't force feed the ball to C.D. Lamb, but they don't need to. Because they have other options. C.D. Lamb. Michael Gallup is good enough at beating one-on-one coverage. Dalton Schultz is one of the better tight ends in the NFL right now. Have a good offensive line that's capable enough to at least keep Dak upright. You know, not terrible anymore, but it's not the dominant offensive line that we're used to seeing. But either way, Dak is playing much better since his injury. And we needed that one player to take the top off of everything, to add a different element to our game. We didn't see the Rams take off last year, really, until Otto Beckham Jr. got on that team. They were always good in the passing game, but they got better. All right. He commanded more attention, much more threats. Now, Oda Beckham Jr. is not going to be able to play for some time now, but I think that his factor alone, while being on the team and when he is on the field, people having to try and cover this guy one on one or him being a decoy would alone give this offense another explosive element. I don't think he's going to come over here and take the jobs of necessarily. Michael Gallup and, and CeeDee Lamb and whatnot take away snaps. He probably would, but the point is, is that this team would be so much more dynamic in the passing game to where now we have to worry about three guys that can possibly burn us. Noah Brown as a fourth receiver. I mean, damn, that's 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 tough. That is tough. So, yes, I think that if you do get an order Beckham Jr., you don't you now only have that element in the passing game, but we could now talk about you dethroning the Eagles who are on top right now in the NFC. And to me, the Cowboys are the second best team in the NFC. I know we want to brag about the Vikings, but we saw what they did against the Vikings. And we saw how physical they were against the Vikings. How physical they can be against any other team. Against the Eagles with Cooper Rush, by the way. So yes, very much so. It is very much possible that you get Otto Beckham Jr. to come onto this team, and he just explodes, and he allows this team to play much more freely, much more aggressive, and much more creative in the sense that they have a chance to now be a real threat for the Super Bowl this season. Guys, it is possible, but I'm just saying, 
he could have that same impact, the same impact that the Rams did last year in regards to making that run for the Super Bowl. He was that great. And even though he is not 100% right now as it stands, he still has a chance to really be a nuisance for any team he lines up against. I just want to make sure you guys are monitoring that. Really do so. Really do so. But anyways, guys, let's get into really quickly the World Cup. Now, huh, wow. We have the the round of 16 pretty much finished off. Okay. So we have the Netherlands qualifying against the U.S. I kind of expected that, to be honest. I don't understand why, once again, U.S. fans really thought they had a chance. Some didn't think they had a chance, which is expected. Right, because when you go up against the top teams or the top players in Europe, you see how far the gap is, unfortunately. And you have to do a little bit more than uh, have the spirit and the fighting U.S. mantra to really get past some of these other teams. You have to have talent, <laughs> good coaching. Coaching was okay this year, it wasn't bad at all. Don't get me wrong, but you need more than that. Netherlands move on, and they will face. Argentina, which I actually think they can beat. Argentina beating Australia in that game. Um, pretty much another onslaught as well, too. Not an onslaught. It was 2-1, but I thought it would be an onslaught. It wasn't an onslaught at all. Okay, so we have those two guys, those two teams set up for a nice matchup. Croatia against Japan. You know, I, I, I believe once Japan scored the first goal, they had a chance. They really had a chance. Well, once Croatia scored a second goal with Ivan Perisic and to come back in that game and to obviously not put your chances away, but to go into extra time. Once the game got to penalties, I already knew Croatia had it in the bag because you need experience and you need confidence. And this is a team where last World Cup, they had plenty of confidence to win some of these shootouts. And they did just that. And they're an expert at taking penalties as well, too. So, yeah, I had no belief in Japan, unfortunately. But Croatia will now face Brazil, who just killed South Korea. I mean, damn. South Korea had the wrong game plan, the wrong game plan to open them to open themselves up that much. Like what are you what are you doing? What are you doing? Like play smart. Play smart. Play like a team like Morocco who upset Spain today, by the way, and they knew coming into the game that they didn't really have the talent to go over there and cause attacking problems and be on the front foot. But the difference is, is they have the attack and talent to take their chances and to make, you know, the Spanish, I mean, yeah, the Spain team really, really nervy in the end when they would get inside the box because of what they have at their disposal. And on top of that, they played a much defensive game, won the game in penalties, and now they will face, <laughs> they will face Portugal, who just once again killed Switzerland today. Wow. Wow, this game, I knew that this game would have a lot of goals, but damn, 6-1 is, is pretty bad, pretty bad. You have Ronaldo Star off the bench, and this guy came in, and he was, he, was, he came into a team that was already up by five goals. Wow. Or four goals, at least. It says a lot. It says a lot. All right? France and Poland, I mean, we knew coming into that matchup, France would have the better end. They would have the easier chances. And Poland, it is what it is. It's sad to see Lewandowski go for his last World Cup, but you never know. And you never really believed in Poland beating France. And then last but not least, England beating Senegal. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So I thought Senegal would have a better showing, which they kind of did in the opening minutes. But in the end, better talent always surmises, uh, always surpasses, sorry, 
the talent that they're, that they're facing, which is mediocre compared to them at least, and inferior. And that was the case here, unfortunately. I was a big supporter of Senegal, obviously for African reasons, <laughs> but it is what it is, though. So that is the set bracket for the quarterfinals. Um, I'll go for England and France. That's going to be a tough game right there. It really is will be a tough game. But I'll go France in the close one. I'll go France in the close one. Uh, Morocco and Portugal. You know what's funny, guys? Morocco is the first team to qualify for the quarterfinals. First African team to qualify in the quarterfinals since Ghana in 2010. I'm actually going to go with Morocco here. I, I think they'll make history. I think they will. Semifinals for me. Let's go Brazil and Croatia. I got Croatia winning that game. I really do. You know, I, I, I understand the attack of talent. I really do. But I think that an expert team, a team that has veteran mindsets, a team that has been here before, really won't matter who they go up against. It's a matter of how they get the job done. And we've seen this team be scrappy all time, all tournament long, and they got the job done. So I'll go Croatia here. Um, let's go Argentina and Netherlands. Give me Argentina. Just kidding. Give me the Netherlands. Yeah, give me Netherlands. I don't think Argentina has had a good World Cup. I don't think they've had a convincing World Cup. I think Netherlands have played smart. They played very savvy, and they'll continue to do that against the led Messi-led squad. So that is right there. But anyways, guys, what a short podcast, short episode. It is what it is. We'll be back for the next episode. Hopefully it will be tomorrow to give you guys some more content for the future and to give you guys some more sports related talk. It is your boy Edwin and I am out. Peace.